All right, grab your Bible, turn to the book of Jude. This, Lord willing, will be our last time together in this study. Man, huh? Oh, what's next? All right. Uh, Second Timothy. That's, that's what's next. We're way overdue for a leadership training series. And so we're gonna, we're gonna get into Second Timothy next. I do reserve the right to wait on that. There's a couple things that I'm just seeking the Lord on. Um, we might do a couple one-off messages, but we'll, we'll you know, we'll see. Um, yeah, so Jude, I, man, what a great book. What a, what a wonderful reminder, uh, you know, just to be vigilant in these last days. Let's go to the Lord, let's pray, and then let's get to work in the Word. You know, if you come today just to sit through a service, you're not gonna get much out of it, but if your heart is set on hearing from the Lord, right, if your heart is on the Word of God speaking to you, guess what, according to your faith, be it unto you, God will speak to you, you will hear from his word, and it changes our lives, and so let's be full of faith this morning, amen? Yeah, so turn to your neighbor and tell him, wake up, right? This is your part, it's time for you to get to work. Don't bring it weak. All right, Father, well, Lord, we love you, God. Thank you for the book of Jude. Thank you for the way that it speaks to our lives, even in these last days before Christ's return. Lord, we wanna be found faithful, and so God, again, Lord, would you open our eyes, would you open our understanding? Lord, we don't wanna just know the truth. Lord, we wanna surrender our lives to it, and so God, have your way. Pour out your spirit on us. Uh, open our eyes, open our understanding, but Lord, uh, convict us of our need to see the reality of your word over our life. Lord, you must be glorified. Uh, Lord, we pray that our lives at the judgment seat of Christ would bring great glory to you because you're worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. Who is like you? Who is like the Lord Jesus? What a mighty God, mighty to save, glorious in our eyes. Lord, this morning, help us to see Jesus and give him glory, we pray in his name, amen. Okay, so what we've been seeing over the last several weeks is we know that false teachers are shamelessly at work perverting, right, twisting, warping the grace of God, turning it to lasciviousness. Uh, they're justifying a pursuit of the pleasures, you know, the fulfillment of the pleasures, the sins of the flesh. And we've seen that Jesus is gonna be judging that. That's one of the main reasons he's returning is to straighten this out. And knowing that we have a responsibility to, that, that, that we're to take seriously, very seriously in these last days, you know, we, we have to contend for the faith we have to make sure that we're building up the body of Christ. Uh, we have to make sure that every member is equipped to know what the Word of God says. Uh, we saw the response that we're to take in the face of false teaching and false teachers. So now what, what's left to do? Well, now what's left is to give God the glory. Verses 24 and 25 form a wonderful doxology. Uh, of just the glory of God. When all things are said and done, let Christ be glorified. And so our first point for study in verse 24 is a focus on the Lord Jesus. What a great Savior, and he is our glorious hope. That's our first blank. Verse 24 says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Okay, so unto him, that is able to keep you from falling. How many times have we heard stories about Christians and we think, man, this guy, uh, this gal, just so on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful testimony. And then you find out they're dealing drugs <laughs> or, they're, or they're shacked up with someone or they're just living the life of a drunkard. You say, how did this happen? How did they fall like that? Well, it doesn't have to happen. It's not inevitable. Our Lord Jesus Christ is able to keep us from falling. Did you know you can go through your entire life just growing in, your, growing in your relationship with the Lord, growing in the knowledge of God, growing in grace, growing in faith, 
Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is able to produce that. Jesus is able, he's able to do that in the life of the believer. Romans 14, four, uh, you see that principle. God is able to make his servant stand. Romans 14, four. You know, I ran the phrase, is able. You can, most Bible search programs, you can do a quote mark, your phrase, and then end quote. And then you'll search for that exact phrase in your Bible search engine. And, And so I ran, is able, and found every reference talking about what God is able to do. In 2 Chronicles 25, 9, he's able to give in our need. Daniel 3, uh, God's able to deliver. In chapter 4, with Nebuchadnezzar, we find that he's able to abase the proud, to humble the proud. Uh, Jesus said he's able to raise up children unto Abraham of the stones there. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, Matthew 10, this is sober. God's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Romans 11, God's able to graft Israel back into the branch, into the root again. Uh, He will restore Israel to her place in his plan. And then what we just saw in 14.4, Romans 14.4, God's able to make the believer stand. 2 Corinthians 9, verse eight, he's able to make all grace abound. And then a key verse in our study this morning, Ephesians 3.20, God's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Philippians 3, he's able to subdue all things unto himself. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Hebrews 2, 18, another key passage for us this morning. He's able to succor them that are tempted, to succor them that are tempted. And then in chapter seven, verse 25, he's able to save. And then James four says he's able to save and to destroy. You know, our God is able. He's able to do anything. He can do whatever he wants. And as you study your Bible, you find out that what he wants is actually good. It's perfect. Uh, It's wonderful. He does all things well. And the Bible says he's able to keep us from falling. That word keep means he is on guard. He's at watch. He's not asleep on the job. Did you know that God is very interested in you? He's very interested in your life. Uh, Who you are, everything that's going on in your life, God is paying close personal attention. So remember that the next time you're tempted to think no one's looking, I'm gonna go ahead and cheat, I'm gonna go ahead and do this, I'm gonna go ahead and and just turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. No, 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 God is very interested. He's He's watching and he's working to make sure that you keep moving forward in faith. God watches out for his own. That's the way that it works. See, it's salvation, he's got you, right? He's keeping you, John chapter 10 verse 29, Jesus says, my father which gave them me, his sheep, right? The followers, the believers in Jesus Christ. He says, my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Um, My, you know, growing up um, talking with some of my Pentecostal friends, we would discuss passages like this. Uh, no man is able to take them out of my hand. And I'm, you know, as a young Bible believer, I wasn't super knowledgeable, but like that just really spoke to me. And I'm see, no man can take a believer from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, oh, no, 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 you know, no. Yeah, it's true, no man can take you from his hand, but you can walk away. Okay, so you have the ability to do what nobody else can do. You can take yourself out of his hand. Look at the text. No man, that includes you, man. You can't pluck yourself any more than I can unscramble the DNA that makes me Sam Miles. I am one half Joyce Pendergraf. She got married, her name's Joyce Miles. One half Mike Miles. Mostly it's Mike showing through these days, but (laughs) I can't unscramble that. I was born into that family. I can't undo that new birth. The Bible teaches the eternal security of the believer, why? Because Jesus is keeping his own. We give you the cross references for that, we don't have time this morning to study all of that, but just know he does it and and that's your homework, right? Get Get a good biblical look at the eternal security of the believer. How, do, how, how does the Bible teach the eternal security of the believer? Well, Colossians chapter two says that God 
separate us from the, from the sins of our flesh at the moment of our salvation. In Romans 6 through 8, you find out that you're a child of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you find out you're a new creature in Christ. Jesus said it this way in John 3, 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, man, I, 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 at 12 years of age, I was born again. I had a physical birth in 1968. Yes, I'm that old. 1968, you know, a lot of you guys, I got underwear older than you. Okay, so that, that was a long time ago. But then, man, at 12 years of age, I was born again. There was a new birth that took place. There is a new name that's written down in glory. It was mine. God has me. Man, praise the Lord. The believer is born into the family. He's born into the life. He's born into the kingdom of God. Now, what if a child thought that every time he messed up real bad, that, that his family would kick him out, that his parents would disown him. If a child operated under that mentality, under that belief, eventually it would wreck him. It would destroy that child. Why, because there's no security in the believer. Imagine a six-year-old, man, if I mess up, mom and dad's gonna kick me out on the street. What a horrible, I mean, wouldn't that be, ch- we would all agree, that's child abuse. If that kid legitimately believes that, if his parents are telling him, You mess up, you don't obey, you're on the street. Every time I mess up, I'm gonna be rejected. It would destroy that child. And there's too many believers today that think because of what they did or they did not do, now they've lost their salvation. Like God is not able to keep them. Brothers and sisters, if you're born again, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you think you've done. God is bigger than you, he's able to keep you. It's all for his glory. Right, it's all, it's, uh, check out Ephesians 2 sometime. All of it is just gonna stand for all of eternity as a trophy of his grace on the life of his children. People say, Pastor, you don't understand, I've really messed up. I don't see how God could ever love me. No, 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 I get it, you're messing up right now. You don't see how great the love of God is. That's what you're missing. You don't see how great the mercy and the grace of God is. Too many believers think they've lost their salvation over something that they can do. Somehow they've plucked themselves out of the Lord Jesus' hand. No, it doesn't work that way. If you're born again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, you are a new creature in Christ. Your old life, right? The totality of who you were, that is now dead. And you are now alive in Christ. All things are become new in your life. You're a new creature. Some of you are more creature than others, but I mean, you're, you're a new creature. Man, how wonderful is that? You're saved, not because you're able to keep your relationship with God. No, you're his child. He is able, because of Calvary, because of Jesus, to keep you, to keep his relationship with you. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Man, that God would call me his child. What love, what wondrous love. What wondrous love is this? Never mind. It's a good song. Okay, what? that God calls me his child, that we should be called the sons of God. You know, there's a tribulation application here. Uh, don't, don't miss that. In the general epistles, we saw it very clearly. Uh, here in the book of Jude down toward the end of this letter. Um, Unto him that is able to keep you from falling. During the time of tribulation, someone can say and sincerely believe that they're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but if they take the mark of the beast in Revelation 13 and 14, right, if they take the mark of the beast in Revelation 13, then they, in Revelation 14, will go to hell. Uh, There's no way around that. If somebody takes the mark of the beast during the time of great tribulation, uh, they are not kept. But God is able to keep them. And so the, the, the application during the time of tribulation is that God will give dying grace. He will give his believers the ability to not take the mark of the beast and to face certain death and to be at peace with it. Um, so there is, you know, just keep that in the back of your mind as you look at the dual application of scripture in the general epistles. So it's salvation, man, he's got us. 
That's how he's able to keep us from falling. But then once you're saved, now do you know how to live Christ? Are you walking in sinless perfection? I mean, Romans chapter seven becomes a great reality in the life of every believer. You, you see who you are, you see your failings in the flesh. Okay, so what's happening now? Well, God is now working out a project in your life. Once you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's now at work to conform you to his image, to his likeness, to his life. And so get this down in your notes. How, how, how is the Lord able to keep us from falling? Well, at salvation, he's got me, but through sanctification, he's made a way for me. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's how this works. 1 Corinthians 10, verse one. Paul tells the church, moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea. So the nation of Israel coming out of the bondage of Egypt, which is a picture of the believer coming out of the bondage of the world and the bondage of sin. Uh, What's the next step after deliverance? Well, it's believer's baptism. We saw that here this morning. Those who are followers of Christ now because they are born again, They now see the need to be obedient in following. They're following according to the word of God, not according to what they think or they feel or their changing circumstances, their changing emotions. No, the book says it, that settles it. I gotta get to following it. And so what's that that in the life of the nation of, of Israel? They're now following Moses and so the Red Sea parts. So they're walking through the Red Sea. They're surrounded by water and over them is this cloud they're literally immersed. You see that? It's called the baptism of Moses. It's Moses uh, leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Okay, so what now? They did, verse three says, and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. So now they're, don't miss the picture, they're living Christ. Do you see that? They're they're living Christ, That's that's how they're moving forward. But with many of them, here it is, verse five. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, when you go back and you read the Old Testament account of the 40 years of wilderness wandering and the adult generation, that refused in faith to go into the promised land. They died in the wilderness and their children end up taking the promised land. Everything that happened to them, when you read that account, Paul says these things were our, were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as, some, as were some of them and as it, I mean, here it is, as it is written, the people sat down to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to pray. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. Uh, That's the story of Moab and fell in one day, uh, three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Uh, All of this, all of this was just prep for a chosen people, the bride of Christ, the New Testament church, to be able to live in faith. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Okay, that's right in the smack middle of the Pauline epistles. And what's the example? Here are a bunch of believers who died in the wilderness of sin. And that, their story is an example for us so that we would not follow after the flesh, that we would actually stay drinking and eating, living Christ, man. Okay, so take heed. You think you're gonna stand, but take heed lest you fall. So what's the answer? How is the Lord then able to keep us from falling? Well, right there in the next verse. Now every Christian ought to know 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, like the back of their hand. There hath no temptation taken you. Guess what, temptations are gonna come after you, but none of them have to own you. 
There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Whatever temptation you face, mark it down. You are not unique in the temptation that you face. Many, countless others have faced this same trial before you and have emerged victoriously. Uh, they're, they're common temptations. But God is faithful, there it is. He is able to keep us from falling. God is faithful who will not allow, he will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation. Notice, he doesn't take the temptation away, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So God never promises to remove you from your trials or your temptations, but he will allow you, he will provide for you the means by which you can be victorious in the midst of that trial. And so keep your eyes on verse 13. Let's throw 2 Corinthians 10. Here's another passage that every believer ought to know like the back of their hand because this is a key to victory. So what's the way of escape? I mean, man, there's a temptation in the flesh. There's a temptation to not walk Christ, to not live Christ, but to walk and live after the flesh. What do I do? God promised me in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that there was a way of escape, that I'd be able to bear this temptation. Okay, here it is, here's the key, here's the answer. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. You don't actually win against, you don't win over temptation through willpower, through your personal ability, through your personal strength. Uh, that will run out. You will end up ultimately failing. Uh, the proof of that is, you know, you, every, every January, it's like I'm done carrying this 20 extra pounds. I'm just sick of it. I can't live like this anymore. It's time to grow up. It's time to, time to man up, time to, time to woman up. And I'm gonna get serious about my diet, my exercise, and, and man, you like just tear it up in January. And then you know what you do in February. <laughs> That's what willpower produces right? It'll only take you so far. Here it is. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. It's not through the flesh, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. See, there are lies that are being erected in your mind that will, in your mind, in your heart, give you justification to do what you really just want to do in the flesh. So what's the answer? Verse five, we cast them down. We cast down things that are not true, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Uh, that, that, that little still, small voice, that little word of God substitute that's speaking into your heart. Yeah, 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 I know what the Bible says, but here's why. I can't live that. Here's why I gotta go ahead and please the flesh. No, 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 we cast that down. We don't listen to those vain imaginations, those things that lie against the word of God. We bring them into captivity, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You say, I think, well, it doesn't matter what you think, it matters what the word of God says. And so you need to start, brothers and sisters, this is a key to eating, drinking, living Christ. What am I thinking, how am I feeling? Is it in line with the word of God? If not, why not? Oh yeah, I'm thinking wrong, so I'm gonna bring that wrong thought, those wrong feelings, those wrong views, and I'm gonna make them be subordinate to what the Bible says. I'm gonna bring every thought into captivity to obedience to Christ. I want the way I think to be in submission to the word of God. And so, verse six, I gotta change the way I live. And having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Okay, so one of the stories it's kind of an example of how this works. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 10 was uh, verse nine, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. So look at how this works. In Numbers 21, uh, you can turn there or not, uh, but just listen. In Numbers 21, they're, they're journeying from the Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass, to go around the land of Edom and the Bible says that the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. It's a tough topography, it's a tough journey. And the people spake against God and against Moses. This is what they said. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? You guys, you guys 
busted us out of Egypt just to kill us in the wilderness. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Do you see how messed up you can get? There's no bread. We're starving to death, and our soul loathes this light bread. I mean, they've got bread, but there's, there's no bread, right? They're, they're, manna is bread, literally bread from heaven, <laughs> and we hate it. We hate bread from heaven. What? There it is. That's how messed up you can get. Uh, now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, what they're doing is they're tempting Christ. They're provoking him. You brought us here to kill us in the wilderness. God says, okay, enough's enough, prayer answered. And they start dying. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, here's here's the first step into bringing those thoughts into captivity. We have sinned, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take, that he take away the serpents from us. So the Bible says in verse seven that Moses prayed for the people. And now listen to this, this is very critical. The Lord said unto Moses, he doesn't say to Moses, okay, I'll take the serpents away. No, what he says is make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the, serp- when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So the snakes came as the wages of sin. They came in judgment of sin. They came because this is what happens whenever the flesh gets its way, The result is always sin and death. That's the picture. Did God kill the snakes? Did God take the snakes away? Did God remove that that wrath over sin? No, absolutely not. God told Moses to take a serpent of brass and set it on a pole. And everyone that looked to it, everyone that looked at it, if they were dying through this bite, through this snake bite, they would then live. So God didn't take the snakes away. He made a way for them through it. Do you see that? Okay, so now we know what the picture is, the serpent on the pole. Christ, the serpent lifted up on a pole is a picture of Christ lifted up on the cross of Calvary. He took the wages of our sin, okay? So Israel murmuring, tempting, tempting the Lord. The cry of their heart is we're dying out here. God's like, okay, it's time for discipline. Now they're reaping the wages of their sin. What's the solution? Oh, they need a sin bearer. So they're, they're dying in their sin, that's the picture. They look to the pole and they live. Brothers and sisters, nothing has changed. When we're battling this issue of sin, look to Calvary, look to Jesus, look to your sin bearer. That's the key at salvation and man, I gotta tell you, the blood of Christ is the reason that we can pursue sanctification. He is our way through. Uh, Adrian Rogers, again, I just, he made another great point on this passage. He says, you know, people say today, if God's so powerful, why didn't he just kill the devil? He says, God doesn't kill the devil. Instead, he puts his son, the Lord Jesus, on a cross. You see, Christianity is not the subtraction of problems from life. It's the addition of power to meet those problems. God's made a way for you, and God will make a way for you. Can you see it? Jesus is able, he is bigger than your flesh, he is bigger than your problems, he's able to keep you from falling. What we need is we need to quit playing and crying, we need to, we need to, we need to decide we're gonna agree, agree with God and that we're gonna start thinking and acting as biblicists. I don't feel like it, I don't want to. No, 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 it doesn't matter what I feel, what I think or what I want. What does the Bible say? Let's think that, let's feel that, let's want that. And because we serve a risen Savior who is watching us, right? He's on guard over us. He's able to keep us from falling. Faith says, all right, Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Lord, I don't have to have my way. God, I'm desperate that you have your way over my life. Man, I pray this morning that you can see it. Jesus is able. Ephesians 3.20 says, now unto him, that is able to do exceeding, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, 
according to the power that worketh in us. What power is that? What is Jesus doing in my life and yours as believers? Well, a, a lot of things, okay? There's a lot of things. We don't have time to cover it all, but here's a big one. Romans chapter eight, verse 29 says that those things that happen in our life, those trials, those troubles, those temptations, those difficulties, even more than that, even the blessings, all of it. Romans chapter eight, verse 29 says, God foreknew us and he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And this is why those who are called by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God works all things together for their good that they might be conformed to the image of Jesus. So get this down in your notes. Jesus is faultless. He is mature, he is perfect, right? He is the whole man, okay? So Jesus is faultless, and so he works to present his sheep, his children, he works to present us the same as faultless. That's why verse 24 says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Okay, so faultless, how, I mean, how, how did he keep us from falling? How does he keep us faultless? Well, okay, whenever we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it is a bride receiving her groom. The local church, the New Testament church is called the bride of Christ. And whenever we're raptured, okay, we go through the judgment seat of Christ, then there's a marriage supper where the church is now united, right, physically, visibly, eternally with the Lord Jesus Christ. You read about that in Revelation chapter 19. Okay, so when we meet Jesus as his bride, we must be made ready. A guy loves a gal and uh, decides he wants to spend the rest of his life with her and, and so he woos her, he wins her, and then he asks her, will you be my wife, will you be my bride? And she you know, starts crying and Yes, yes, you know, so, and they set a date, they set a wedding date, okay? And everybody, all the plans are made and, and uh, you know, they, uh, they have the wedding date, you know, and you know how it works, right? Uh, the pastor typically, typically comes in with the groom to receive the wedding party and everybody's dressed up and everybody's excited and then, you know, everybody's in their place and now it's time to receive the bride and the pastor says, all rise, and everybody stands up and what are they doing? In this church, so everybody's looking right back there at that door because this woman is gonna come through dressed like she's never been dressed before, never will be dressed again. Uh, she's gonna be in her wedding gown. She's gonna be, okay, so she comes busting through that door. I mean, the, the bachelorette party got off the rails, it was wrong. And uh, she was up too late. She was, and there she is in her blue jeans and flannel shirt, hairs all over the place. Can you imagine? <laughs> what would the whole company do? Some, some, I mean, haggardly bride just comes staggering in. <laughs> all rise. Where's he at? Let's get this done. And she just looks like a hot mess. The whole church would be like, <gasps> you would hear an audible gasp. That's what you would hear. Brothers and sisters, we're the bride of Christ. And when we're presented to him, we must be presented faultless. You know, the Old Testament sacrifice had to be faultless. It had to be faultless, without spot or blemish. So also Christ, without spot, without blemish. So also his people. 2 Corinthians 11.2, let's take a tour. I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you faultless, a chaste virgin to Christ. Ephesians 5.27, that he, Jesus, might present the bride, the church, to himself, a faultless bride, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. Colossians 1.22 says that in the body of his flesh through death, what is Jesus doing? He's presenting us, how? To present you faultless, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Colossians 1, 28, 
We preach Jesus, right? Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man what? Faultless. Every man mature, conformed, perfect in Christ Jesus. And then whatever is left of that job to prepare the bride to receive Jesus, Jesus finishes at the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians 15 says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised faultless, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Faultless, Philippians 1.6, we're confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There it is. You know, at the end of all of it, what's Jesus doing? He's working to present us. You, know, you say, man, I've really gone through some stuff. Yeah, those are, those are refining fires. Those are conforming, those are engines of conforming, conforming you to the Lord Jesus Christ. God is at work in your life. Now again, don't miss this. We keep going back to Romans 8, 38 and 39. Nothing, and I mean nothing, can separate us from the love of Christ. There is no thing not death, not life, not angels, not principalities. Nothing, nothing past, present, future. There's, no cre- there's just nothing that shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you trust him? You say, well, I'm really going through some stuff. Do you trust him? That he's watching over you, that he's keeping you, that he's a work in your life, that he's refining you for his glory. Man, I pray that we'd see this today. It'd be such an encouragement to you if we do. Ephesians 1, here it is, the prayer, verses 18 and 20, Paul says, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Man, the mighty power of God is working in our life. Do you believe that this morning? Man, if you believe that, you would not be making plans to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. You'd not be making excuses to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You wouldn't be doing that. Man, if we just could see the greatness of his power to usward, the working of his mighty power, which, here it is, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Man, what power that is that God himself could die for the sins of all of Adam's race and be resurrected, how? By the power, by the mighty power of God and be set at the right hand of the Father. Well, guess what? That same power is at work in you. You're to be setting in Christ at the right hand, right? We're to be ruling and reigning with Christ in his kingdom. That's God's plan. Brothers and sisters, everything that we're going through, all of these trials, it's boot camp. It's just training. There is a glorious day coming where we will be at Christ's side, his bride, glorious, bringing glory to him. What exceeding, thrilling, triumphant, wonderful joy. Some of you, you hear that, you hear a statement like that, and you're like, huh. Man, I'm praying that your understanding, the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you'd see it, that you'd see what God himself is working to do in your life. Right now, I mean, the Bible says the God of this world blinds the minds of them that believe not. Brothers and sisters, we gotta get to believing, amen? Amen. Now, don't, again, thinking about the transitional context, there's a dual application in the general epistles, but even here in Jude, note the promises, okay? Look at how this worked. There's a picture in the progression of the verses. In verse 21, we saw salvation. In verse 24, here we see sanctification at work. And then in verses 24 and 25, we see glorification. And that's how salvation works in the life of the believer. There's initial salvation, but then you were saved, but you are now through sanctification. You're learning to live saved, right? He He is conforming you to the image of Christ. But one day, ultimately, you will be completely saved. Right now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, Technically, biblically, I'm just two-thirds saved, right? My soul is born again. The part that makes me me is now a child of God, and my spirit is now one spirit with the Lord. So there's the soul, there's the spirit, but my flesh, my body, oh, man. If nothing else, the back aches would remind me that there's a problem, okay? 
Um, it's waiting for the redemption of the body, right? That's, that's, what, that's what's happening. Uh, at the rapture of the Christ, at the rapture of the church by Christ, um, we'll, we'll, we'll be glorified with him, man, praise the Lord. Everything that's happening in the life of the believer is ultimately working itself out so that there'll be great glory for the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. First Peter 4.13 says, Rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. Second Corinthians 4.17 says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It'll be what you're going through, those trials, those difficulties, even the temptations. Man, God's using those to refine you to work in and through you. And it's a great power that's at work. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's ultimate power. It's the, ulti- it's the ultimate God power. And that's at work in you right now. And you're going through trial, you're going through difficulty, you're going through trouble. Man, it's just light affliction. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. Now look at verse 25. Okay, so we saw Christ as our great hope, but here we see our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our God of great glory. That's your next blank. Verse 25 says, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and, and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever, amen. Man, isn't it good to know that Jesus is wise? He's wise. That's one of the reasons you know you can trust him. In Jesus, Colossians 2, 3 says, are hid all the treasures of wisdom. You will not get all wisdom without Christ. You have to have him if you're gonna have any hope of getting the wisdom that you need. Uh, When Christ came the first time, nobody could miss the treasures of wisdom hidden in him. Matthew 13, 54, he's teaching in the synagogue. And he's teaching in such a way, here's what the Bible says, that they were astonished and they said, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? I mean, this is a carpenter's son, we know his family. Whence hath this man all these things? Verse 57 says they see his wisdom and they're offended in him. That's really, I mean that really just kind of sums up the two responses to the wisdom, to the word of Christ. You either love it or you're trying to avoid it. You either love it or it offends you. They were offended in him. And Jesus is like, well, you know, That's the fellowship. A prophet is not without honor save in his own country and in his own house. They're offended at the God of all creation. John chapter one verses one through four tells you very plainly that he is the word, he is God, and he made everything. When you're reading in Genesis chapter one and God said let there be and it was and it was and it was, you know, God kept saying and it kept being, that's Jesus speaking right there. That's the the second member of the Godhead speaking. It's Jesus, he is the God of creation. Psalms 104 verse 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. I mean, they're, they're multi-leveled, multi-layered, multifaceted. How manifold are thy works in wisdom. How do you do it? In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So get this down in your notes, okay? In Christ is wisdom, he is wise. Uh, Wisdom is far more valuable than knowledge. You can have all of the knowledge that there is to have, okay? Nobody has that, but let's just say you did. You could have all that knowledge and still make foolish decisions. There are a lot of people with doctorates, multiple doctorate degrees, that are actually gonna end up burning in hell. What's their wisdom gonna do for them when they go into eternity without Christ? That's foolish, okay? You can have a lot of knowledge and still be dumb. It can happen. Now conversely, Jesus knows everything. He's the only one that has all knowledge, and yet he always knows just exactly what to do. That's wisdom. Jesus never went wrong, he never messed up, he never made a mistake. He is the only wise God. Oh, brothers and sisters, we wanna be conformed to his image. Don't you need wisdom? Man, I need wisdom. There are so many things that come at us in life, and it's like, what do we do here? What do we do now? Well, let's find out what the book says. Oh, that's tough, I mean, like, I don't know how to exactly fit this into a category, so I'll go to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, I've got this problem, what do I do now? 
well, in the multitude of counselors, right? There's safety, and, and so as we pray and we read the Bible, and as we discuss with our brothers and sisters who are building us up in our faith, these issues, God will help us find our way forward. We need the mind of Christ. He is the only wise God. Psalms 147 verse five says, great is, the, great is our Lord, and of great power, his understanding is infinite. You're never gonna face a problem that Jesus can't get you through. He knows the way through. He knows, trust him. I can't tell you, um, you know, I, I am getting older, and I'm, I am kind of literally starting to lose count of all of the times where I've faced an impossible situation. And I'm like, well, Lord, you know what to do. <laughs> you know what the answer is. Um, I'm so glad you're smart, because I'm not. I'm so glad you know what to do. I'm, I'm so glad you know how this is gonna work out. Instead of me just worrying all the time and fretting, I'm just gonna trust you. He has never failed. Uh, he's always gotten us through. It's wonderful. Romans 11:33. oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I wanna give my life to that endeavor. I know I'll never compass the wisdom, the knowledge, the ways of God, but I wanna, I wanna, I wanna waste my life on that pursuit. Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. Well, I'll be searching. And his ways past finding out, I'll be looking because he is wise. Verse 25 says he is savior. He's savior because he redeemed us from sin. He redeemed us from the curse of sin that the law pronounced over our life. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him, made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. First Peter 2.24 says that he bare our sin who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin, should be, we should live under righteousness. It's by him, it's by his stripes, by whose stripes you're healed. He is our savior, he's our blessed hope. Titus 2.13 says we're looking for Jesus, we're looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of our great God and our savior, Jesus Christ. When Christ comes for us, then our faith will be made sight. He is our great hope. Whenever we talk about God being our hope or our hope being in God, we're not talking about something that we want to happen. We're talking, I mean we do, but we're actually talking about something that we know will happen. People say, I hope I win the lottery. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> that you, will, you will waste and destroy your life thinking that you're gonna make it through life winning the lottery. There's just one every once in a while that is just bait for the rest of the morons that throw their money away. Right, it's a, it's a trap, you know, don't fall for it. Oh, I hope I win the lottery. No, my hope is in Christ, he's coming for me. I know it. <laughs> then will our faith be made sight, and then look at how it ends, to him be glory. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever, amen. That word glory, comes from the word doxa. This is, these last two verses, this is the doxology of this letter. What is the doxology? It's the glory, <laughs> it's the glory. That's what these last two verses are, the doxology, such a fitting end to this letter. The wicked false teacher is gonna work to overthrow Christ, to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. No, God's gonna get the glory. In the end, God wins. No two ways about it. In these last days, the false teacher, what they're really trying to do is they're trying to overturn Christ's rule. Nope, that's not gonna happen. He is king of kings and lord of lords. King of kings and lord of lords, glory. Remember when Petra did that? Okay. Some of you don't even know what Petra is. Petra was this 80s Christian rock band and at the time it was cutting edge stuff, really awesome. And they did this song, and I mean it's got the guitar and the drum, king of kings and lord of lords, glory. Yeah, anyway, so it's, you, can, you can find it on the web. It's, they did a more awesome job than we're doing this morning. 
Uh, he's king of kings and lord of lords, and he is coming to rule and reign. Revelation 5.12 says, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was to slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This is why Paul's prayer for every believer is this, that we would know what is the great, the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he placed him, right, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all power, all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not, in, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Man, if we could just see the glory of Jesus. Man, what a, what a, what a refining thing that that would be in our heart and life. Hebrews 2, 7 says, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things, all things in subjection under his feet. You know, the wicked did their best. They did their worst. The false teachers, they did their best. They did their worst to overthrow Christ's rule. Well, next, it's Jesus' turn. And man, watch out. To him, Right, be all, he's the only wise God, our Savior. To him be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever, amen. A lot of times we think about Christ and his authority, his rule and his reign. We think it's, we act like it's some future event that's yet to happen, and then we skate in terms of our own personal submission to him. Man, if all power is gonna be brought into submission, if it's gonna be placed under Jesus' feet, well, I don't know about you, but I want to get under his feet right now. <laughs> Lord, you are Lord. You're Lord over my life. Not, not in some future time or some future event. Now, today. People are like, oh, it'll be awesome whenever we get to heaven. Brothers and sisters, heaven is dwelling with you now. Heaven is Jesus. You are now in Christ. Let him rule. Let him reign. Let him have glory. Let him have dominion, let him have power, now. Amen? Amen Amen means, literally, so be it. It's agreement, so be it. Man, brothers and sisters, thank you for studying the book of Jude with me. What a privilege. Father, I come right now in the name of Jesus Christ, and Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you for the time that we've had to study this book. We wanna tell you it's been a privilege. But Lord, there are people here this morning that need to put themselves under the rule of Christ. They need to stop with the excuses. They need to stop with, the, with the, 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 the examples that they're pointing out of why they can't submit to you. Lord, these are lies from false teachers, but ultimately the author is Satan himself. God, help us to be wise. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to understand what you're doing, how you're at work in our lives. And then Lord, help us to be a people who trust you, who submit to you. And so God, as we dismiss, I pray, Lord, you're God, we're not, we're your people, and we're trusting. Lord, except you work in us, we'll just waste our time. Except you work in us, we'll only just worry and fret and fear. God, except you work in us, we'll never be conformed to the mind and the image and the person of Christ. And so God, with all my heart, I'm begging you, have your way this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.